Good morning. I want to play a little game with you, okay? It means you're going to have to stand up and move a little bit. Is that okay? Everybody stand up, except I'm not going to. I'm going to sit. You guys stand up. You stand up. Now I want you to go maybe um, five or six steps that way and that way, okay? Just a few steps away, like to the edge of the flowers. Go on, go on. A little bit further, a little bit further. You can go around Mr. Crescent, it's okay. There you go. Okay. I want to ask you a question. Oh, come back a little bit further. Okay. The edge of these flowers. I should have said the colored flowers, not the white flowers. Okay, anyway. Okay. All right. We've got that straight. Hang on. You're good. It's fine. Um, in the scripture lesson I'm about to read, we say the words, The Lord be with you. Can you say that with me? The Lord be with you. Oh, congregation, will you help them? Let's say it together. The Lord be with you. I want to ask you a question, okay? What is the meaning of the word with? What does that word mean? Do you know? You're the first person to answer that question without using the word with. Very good. It means to be like beside you all the time. So now I want you to come over and sit with me. Come back. Come back and sit with me. And I, no, no, closer, closer. Right up here. Come on. Sit right with me. Sit right, come here. Sit with me. Can you sit with me? Is he going to cry if I take him? Yeah, okay, we won't do that. <laughs> can you come a little bit closer? You can sit with her if you want to. That would be okay. You can do. Are you with me? Okay. When we say those words to somebody else, like the Lord be with you, we're telling that person, we want the Lord to be, can I put my arm around you? Right there with you all the time. Shoulder to shoulder. Knee to knee. Can we do foot to foot also? Can you make that work? I have a big foot. Okay, there you go. Foot to foot. Where he's with us all the time. When you say that blessing to somebody, the Lord be with you, we're telling them we want all of God's blessings to be with you because Jesus promises to be with us. Can you remember that? Can we pray about that? Let's fold our hands, okay? Heavenly Father, you sent Jesus into the world to take away all of our sins, and now he promises to be with us always to the very end of the age. Help us to remember that when we bless each other, even our moms and dads, by saying, the Lord be with you, because you, Lord, are with us. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we open to a passage from the Old Testament book of Ruth, what has happened is this. A family from the village of Bethlehem in Judea has packed up and moved across the Jordan River into the land of Moab because of a famine back in Israel. And while they were there, the two sons married Moabite girls. But I don't think very long afterward, both the father and the two boys died. And then the mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her two daughters-in-law, 
Go back to your families. Maybe you can find new men to marry, but I'm going to go home to Bethlehem. And one of the daughters-in-law did that. But one of them, a young woman named Ruth, stayed with Naomi and traveled back across the Jordan River and back to Bethlehem. And just as they arrived in Bethlehem, the barley harvest was happening, which happened at this time in Israel, just about this week in April. In fact, if it was rainy like it has been for the last couple of weeks, it might have been this very day or a little bit earlier. And as they came to Bethlehem, they overheard the third important person in the book of Ruth, Boaz, who would be the ancestor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text is Ruth chapter 2, beginning at, or rather, verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. And this is the word of the Lord. Can you imagine how ridiculous life would be if every time you wanted to say something to somebody or ask them a question, you had to act it out with charades? It would be awkward. It would be fun for about two minutes. But uh, then it would just get old and you'd just want to just say it eventually. Or what if every time you wanted to prepare a meal, every single time you wanted to eat something, you would have to start from scratch. And I don't mean reaching for the jar of flour in the cupboard. I mean going out to thresh grain and crush it and, uh, and, 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 and grind it and to press olives or nuts into oil and uh, to slaughter an animal for every meal. It's, in our culture, unthinkable. Uh, particularly since the World Wars when sliced bread was invented and we don't even have to cut our own bread if we don't want to. We can just buy it as some of us do off the shelf or uh, even to do this by, and forgive me for knowing this by heart, by peeling back the plastic just a little bit and putting it in the microwave for three minutes, stirring the potatoes and then microwaving for two and a half minutes, you have your TV dinner. Think of that in terms of the liturgy. We could tell you that you have to glean from the hymns and the scripture passages uh, all of the basic truths of the Bible or just come with them in your mind. Or we could, as the church has done for centuries, 20 centuries, we could use the liturgy. These are the spoken and responsive parts of the service that come before and after the sermon. And the word liturgy is a word that comes out of the New Testament. It is a word that means service. For example, uh, Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, we're told in Luke chapter 1 that he had completed his time of liturgy or service in the temple. The liturgy gives us structure without having to worry if we've missed an important feature of worship that we usually include. Using the liturgy is like, well, eating a meal in which the food has already been prepared, or using language that is clear and direct rather than talking all around a thing. 
Over the centuries, the church, the Christian church, has found the liturgy to be a more efficient way of presenting the basic truths of God's holy word to one another, preparing God's people for perhaps hearing a deeper truth in the sermon that day. I hope that our introductions to uh, this morning, it was six of the initial parts of the liturgy, has helped you to maybe appreciate those things just a little bit more. Parts of our liturgy review the whole work of Jesus in quick succession, not to diminish it by any means, but to remind us of just how much our Savior has done for us. We do this in the creed and in the communion liturgy before the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. There is nothing, almost nothing at all, in our liturgy which is a human invention. For the most part, the words are taken from passages of various parts of the scriptures, especially the Gospels, the Epistles, and the hymnal of the Old Testament people, that is, the book of Psalms. The grammar, yes, might get adjusted slightly to fit the structure of the sentences, but none of the truths that are expressed in the liturgy are diminished or exaggerated. They, they, are, they, they have no more or less preeminence than they do in the scriptures themselves. One example is the greeting that we uh, use taken uh, from our text here in Ruth. The Lord be with you and also with you. That's adapted from this passage from the greeting in the field uh, of the workers in Bethlehem to Boaz, the ancestor of Jesus. And in our text, the reply comes quickly. The men who are working out in the field, who are on the job site that day, they don't have to think up what their response will be. Oh, that's a strange thing for him to, him to say. What would we say in response? No, they, they answer like they always do. It's second nature to them. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. And we should recognize what the word bless means. To bless has a couple of meanings depending on, well, who you're blessing. For example, Christians can bless God. We often say, we bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's a confession of faith. That all power and blessing comes from God and from no other source. From the true God and the true God only. Or if we do it to one another, as we, as we see in our text or out on the street, we see Christians acting as sort of informal agents of God, expressing his blessing and concern on, on fellow believers. But also, we can do it in worship. And when we do speak a blessing formally in worship, then we take on the role of formal agents of God, carrying, in the case of a minister, his blessing to God's people, or when the people bless the minister by responding, as we do, and also with you. Consider, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's the church of God speaking directly to the minister presiding in worship. It's the only time that's done in the service, proclaiming God's blessings on him, on me, in person. Another thing we remember is that in, in those words, the Lord be with you or the Lord bless you, is the meaning of God's name, the Lord. In God's name, we have, of course, the meaning that he is the God who was, who is, and always shall be. But we also remember that he is the, the God of grace, grace that is freely given to all mankind. And he is the God who makes promises and the God who keeps 
every single one of his promises. The devil brings sin and ruin and loss into human lives. He distracts us. He likes to throw sand in our eyes as we're trying to get along and do something that serves God. Consider, in, 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 even in the blessing of regular worship and hearing a sermon, it might be that in a given week, I, your preacher, might have, might have a, a, a distraction that, that makes it difficult to, to concentrate as I'm studying the text, uh, writing that sermon, a process that takes between 18 and 20 hours in a given week, uh, considering how to apply it to our lives and writing it out and learning an 1,800-word sermon so that I can repeat it five times in, in over the course of three days. And, or it may be that, that something is distracting you. Just in that little moment, those 15, 18, maybe 20 minutes when you are listening to a sermon so that you're not able to grasp every single, uh, what I would think of as a gem of brilliant preaching, which of course is never the truth unless it is what God has said. Um, but it might distract a person. It is true, however, that whether there is a flaw in my writing or preaching, or a flaw in your listening because of a distraction, or maybe a, a health or a personal concern that you have, and maybe that 15 minutes isn't the, the glorious pinnacle of that worship service. The fact is, it's surrounded by 45 other minutes of the liturgy. The liturgy, in, in which, which always satisfies always fulfills, always comprises the complete act of worship. And of course we do pray that the sermon will also edify and be of benefit, but consider this blessing in the story of Ruth. The significance is that this man who is greeting his workers was Boaz, a man who would shortly become one of the ancestors of our Lord Jesus Christ. But at this point in the story, he is only now being introduced. Ruth has no idea who he is. You and I as readers have no idea who he is. And yet the first words he speaks in Ruth's hearing and in ours are, The Lord be with you. What a first impression he must have made on her. What a first impression he would make on everyone. And on us, this, we, we, we think this is a godly man. I'm pretty sure that's what Ruth thought when she heard it. This is a godly man. What a good man he is. He, he, this is not a man who's been warned that someone is going to be, you know, waiting in the wings and writing down what he says. He hasn't been told ahead of time, hey, there's a single woman back here who might possibly one day become your wife. No, this is just Boaz going about his work in the field greeting his own workers the way he always does. Here we meet the true man, the true Boaz, showing his faith when he doesn't have any idea that anybody's watching. Is that the impression people have of you? Is it possible that sometimes... Somebody might think, oh yeah, 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 he's a Christian. I know she's a Christian. You can tell from the way they talk, even when people aren't around. Or sometimes do they maybe think something else of us? 
And if the impression that you and I sometimes give is not quite so ideal, that for all those times when we might have left people wondering whether we're Christians at all, whether we're decent people or demonic pagans, it is Jesus Christ who offers and gives to us his regular, constant, weekly, yes, even daily forgiveness. This is the blessing Boaz expresses with his simple words, the Lord be with you, saying may God's blessings always be yours through faith in Jesus Christ, who is there with you, shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, knee to knee, foot to foot. He is right there with you, giving you his blessing constantly. Be generous. Be free. Be liberal when you give your blessings. Think, perhaps, of your pastors and worship leaders when you respond in that part of the liturgy, when you answer, and, and, and the, the, the leader says, The Lord be with you. And you say, And remember that when you give your blessing, you are both wishing and conferring, that is, giving the blessing of God himself. You can't give too much blessing away. It's not as if you're going to run out. This is the way it is with all of the blessings that God gives in his holy word. He gives by filling us up to the very top so that we can give and give and bless and bless one another. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.